I am standing up here at a time when normally there would be a video playing uh, to prepare us for the next uh, sermon that's coming up. Uh, but as things have changed, and uh, we have uh, our, our guest speaker uh, here today, Pastor John Boggs, uh, he will be providing the message for us this morning, and we're very lucky to hear it. Uh, now, <clears throat> he began, actually, some of you probably might recognize him, he began as a pastor at Sharon United Methodist Church in 1995, I believe it is. If any of this information is incorrect, uh, you can please uh, correct it when you come up. Uh, 1995, which is only a few years before my time here. I was busy playing in the dirt at that time. <laughs> uh, he's most recently served as the pastor in University uh, City uh, Church, uh, way up north, <laughs> for me at least. Uh, now, I don't know if, uh, Pastor John, I don't know if you needed a reminder that God's not finished with you yet, but uh, I don't know if there's a better reminder than when you retire and immediately go right back to work. <laughs> but God is not finished with you yet, and he's not finished with the rest of us yet. Uh, so, Pastor John, let's, let's give him a, a warm welcome as he comes up and shares the message with us today. Well, I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and my, how you've grown, Chris. <laughs> Three months ago, um, Anita and I were um, thinking, you know, after this COVID, how we couldn't really have a big retirement party, so we decided we would go and visit each church that we had served over the 44 years of ministry in this conference, and, you know, share some of our family updates, exchange stories, and so, so um, six weeks ago, on my last Sunday at University City, my heart was strangely warmed when I saw about 16 of the people from South Park Church uh, who had been with me back in the Sharon days uh, came to, to bring their blessing. So I'm grateful to be here and we were planning to come here to this church um, and, and then it, it was a, a difficult moment that brought about this opportunity with Ruby Reinhardt's passing and the heaviness of that and the joy of seeing this new building and seeing many of you uh, was somewhat overshadowed and then the positive test uh, that Nathan had and then Kyle had uh, and he texted me on Wednesday and said could, could you stay over and preach on Sunday and I thought yeah I kind of remember what that was like it's only been six weeks. <laughs> So it is, is my desire to be here. Our, our daughter, Sally, is uh, married and has three children, lives down in Columbia uh, with her husband. And our younger daughter, Becca, actually uh, is married, has a one-year-old yesterday, and they um, are, are coming to the 11 o'clock service. They live here in Beverly Woods. So we are delighted as a family to come back and, and be together with you. So when, when Kyle texted me, I didn't even have to think about, oh, can I do that? Will I do it? It was an immediate yes. And I think some of it is because of how much I have loved watching this young pastor grow and mature. Uh, actually, um, his father, Hank, who was a pastor in the conference, was at Biltmore Church when I was a young pastor just coming out of seminary. And Hank and Mary Zell Thompson were, were those kind of young folks that we kind of looked up to in their early years of ministry, uh, or maybe mid-career ministry, and we were just trying to find our way. So I can't tell you how 
how appreciative I am of this Thompson family. Matter of fact, when I was ordained, it was on the, the Sunday or the Saturday night that I was ordained. It was earlier in the conference session when they had just presented all the people who were coming into the conference. And I was walking from the stage up the aisle at Stewart Auditorium, and Hank Thompson comes at me, and he sticks out his hand to shake my hand. And when we parted and we kept going, I found $20 in my hand. So Kyle, I, I owe you something, brother. Your dad invested in me, and so I'm so glad to be a part of the ministry that you're doing. So <clears throat> it's kind of, a, of an exciting time, isn't it? As difficult as it is and as hard and painful as it's been to be the church in this last couple of years, and here we go again. But there's something that I wanted to share with you immediately came to my mind that as I was retiring, there is some unfinished business that, that I personally have. And I think as I was in, in this sort of a series thinking it through with University City Church here in Charlotte, I was thinking, we're not done. We're never done on the ministry that God calls us to. And so I just thought, well, I want to share a little bit. So if, if you were to ask me, somebody asked me, what were you doing at University City Church at the end? I'm glad you asked. Well, here's, this is the way I put it. I've been cultivating an ethnically diverse, community-minded church of empowered laity, boldly taking risks to reach people for Jesus. I've been cultivating in the people a spirit of missional imagination among all the members. And been grounded in my belief that all who follow Jesus are called by him and gifted for ministry. So something for you to chew on today as you continue to sort of relaunch your church here in South Park. It, it's kind of a balancing act, maybe, or, or maybe what you might call a shift in priority, even for a time. So I would say it, it's the shift from membership to discipleship, from being homogeneous to multi-ethnic, from staff-driven to lay-empowered, and from charity work to justice. That's what I want to share with you this morning. So let's talk a little bit about discipleship. <clears throat> being an involved member of a church is good, but a Christ-following disciple is even better. I mean, that's one who is continually learning, one who is accountable, one who has regular spiritual practices and communal life, following the Christ in your day-to-day -day life, not just showing up for church. So here's a scripture I want us to, to read, and we're going to move on quickly to some of these other things. Uh, just read it with me out loud. Um, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the key thing as we learn, as we're accountable, as we engage in regular spiritual practice. But where I want us to dig a little deeper today, because that's the very basic that, that all churches are trying to do. Maybe all churches aren't trying to move from homogeneous to multi-ethnic. I mean, 85% of the churches in America today are pretty homogeneous of one ethnic origin. But 100% of those churches 
read the same text that I read in the book of Revelation that gives a vision that includes all. Let's read it together in the book of Revelation. This is chapter 7, beginning verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. A powerful reminder that all people are dear to God, precious. So if Revelation points to a picture when ultimate worship will be in heaven, looking like this great multitude from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb crying out salvation belongs to our God all these people if it's going to be that way why not now that's a question he was asking talking about Derwin Gray a former Carolina Panther turned Pastor, you, you may have heard of this uh, church that he started just a few years ago down in Indian lands called Transformation Church. Very intentionally multi-ethnic. Derwin wrote a book um, not too long ago called The High Definition Leader. Um, I was reading it, studying it with a group of people. Um, and I love this quote in the book. High definition leaders are committed to a deep gospel that goes beyond just saving souls to building heavenly barrier-breaking communities of reconciliation the local church should be a mosaic that the world looks at and says so that's what heaven looks like unfinished business is kind of what I'm thinking about today um, most of the churches even here in Charlotte are not multi-ethnic. So can our music be more culturally diverse? Can our relationships with other congregations help to build the bridges? I remember when I was here, we had a little time going with St. Mark's United Methodist, an Afro-American church on Clanton Road. And we, we shared pulpits and we shared choirs. We went to Park Road Park one time and worshiped all together in the outdoors. At University City, they were already into a relationship with Ebenezer Baptist Church, an African-American church about four miles down Sugar Creek Road from University City. And the men were having these annual conferences together. Uh, the Saturday before Easter, they had a mission blitz, sent out 800 people all over the city, particularly the northern part. Uh, there was Easter and holiday music times where the choirs came together and prayer events after George Floyd and mentoring at a public school. And they're still thinking about maybe a civil rights tour or a reconciliation workshop for the whole community. Um, but we're not finished. They're not finished. Um, and I'm not finished. A lot of what I'm sharing with you this morning is just who I am and what I'm trying to do as a pastor in retirement. Then there's this shift that we need to make between the staff leading and the laity leading. So I, I call it staff-driven to lay empowered. 
you, you probably know that 20-80 rule. It applies to a lot of organizations where 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. But 100% of the people who are called of God are actually gifted for the work, some aspect, some phase of the work. So here's Ephesians 4. Let's read this together, these couple of verses. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. These gifts, apostles are those who are sent across culture to plant new churches. And prophets are the ones who know and declare the word of God. And evangelists, they, they just share the gospel in all kinds of ways. Pastors and teachers, their primary job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Have you ever heard about the misplaced comma? The one in the King James Version of this very text. The King James Version added a comma that shouldn't be there as if to make the passage read as though pastors and teachers are to do three things. They're, they're to perfect the saints, they're to do the work of ministry, and they're to edify the body of Christ. When in fact, in the original language, there are only not three jobs, but two jobs that pastors and teachers are doing. They are equipping the people for the work of ministry and they are building up the body of Christ. So the pastor's job is not to do the ministry that you consume uh, or that you enjoy or that you evaluate. Kyle and Lindsay have a job to help you discover your own calling and then to equip you to live out your calling in ministry, whether in the church or in the world. Churches need to develop more systematic ways to help their members identify and develop gifts. I loved it. When I got off the elevator the other day, Brad and I were going through the, the service in our minds for Ruby yesterday, and, and I got off the elevator, and I immediately saw the sign, Volunteer Room. Now, I don't know if that was intentional, but it gave me a sense that, oh, there's a place for me to serve in this church. I hope that you will invite everybody who comes on board to discover their call and find their greatest place of usefulness in the kingdom's work. Well, I want to tell you a story about a guy. Uh, I was on sabbatical a few years ago and literally going across the country. And when I stopped in Indianapolis, it was to see a man named Diamond Harges. Diamond worked at the Broadway Church. It was kind of like the, the Myers Park of Indianapolis years ago. And it was a great, big, expansive campus, and they were trying to do all these programs to invite people in. And one day the pastor realized it's backwards. The church needs to be outside the walls. And so Diamond became what they called a listening rover. He walked the neighborhoods around the church and he listened to the stories of the people. Now these weren't members, or not yet anyway, and he had the vision that all the people, the members and the neighbors, had all the gifts that were necessary for the well-being of the world, of the transformation of the world. It was called ABCD, Asset-Based Community Development. 
And it was to utilize all the gifts, to build up the community and to build up the local economy and, and what he calls to find the mutual delight. Engage not just your members in ministry, but listen carefully to your neighbors, your new neighbors, and what gifts they bring. Well, then there's that shift from charity to justice. Now, I want us to think a little bit about justice, but you can't ground it any better than in this Micah 6-8 text. Let's read it together. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Love kindness or mercy and walk humbly. Now, justice is one of those words today that um, is sort of complex. It can become even divisive depending upon the prefix descriptors. You know, like sometimes you say the word social justice and some people just get all bent out of shape. And, you know, but, but it's about the overall societal concern that what is right and wrong or fair and unfair needs to be addressed. Um, criminal justice is, is a subset of social justice. And when principles of right and wrong or fair and unfair are violated according to law, so when you think of justice, maybe look at it a couple of ways. There's retributive justice, and that's, you know, that's getting what you deserve. And I think that's what, when you see it, when people cry out for justice, they're thinking, you need to be punished. You need to get what you deserve. And then there's restorative justice. That's, that's what God wants. That's the vision of God. God wants it for all people. And when we think of biblical justice, it's really more about that restorative kind of justice when those who are unrightfully hurt or wronged are able to be restored to a sense of well-being, given back what was taken from them. To do justice is to make things right for people. It's very relational. People in a right relationship with God, people in a right relationship with one another, and those people in right relationship with the people of the world. There is a biblical justice, um, new, young, fledgling nonprofit here in Charlotte called Dahlia Grove. You heard about it? It's a, I call it a local biblical justice ministry for transformation of women, particularly women who need a whole different environment for a couple of years to live in residence and community because they're victims of human trafficking or sexual assault, or domestic violence. Gail Smith has done this wonderful job to help employ and empower and inspire and encourage women and provide job training and employment. But because of the pandemic, their, their primary way of raising funds for this program, um, catering, was shut down. And then their big spring gala was shut down they came up with an idea of having a golf tournament. And I'll never forget when I walked to the practice tee on June 28th with my team from University City, here comes Pat Peacock and Jim Langstaff and Guy Herring and Bob Caldwell. Uh, and so at the end of the golf tournament, we were at the, you know, the, the awards ceremony and speaking about Dahlia Grove and this, this beautiful um, ministry that is flourishing now because people like our churches were coming together. I was sitting at the table 
with my team from University City and the team from South Park and so proud of all the children playing together. And yet we really didn't win any prizes, <laughs> except Dahlia Grove won it. It's, it's a place where we're not just giving things. It's not just charity, but it's helping set right the, the difficult path that some women have found themselves on. So what would it look like in a world where all the people have an equal opportunity? I mean, more of us would be addressing racial disparities, economic disadvantages of the poor. We would be helping, fostering, mentoring, relating, mentoring kids in public schools because that's where most of the poorest kids have to go. We would be looking at life from the perspective of the single parent and the aging widow or the incarcerated young person who's about to be released into a world where basically no one wants to give them a chance. More of us would be trying to, to level that playing field, not just by giving a handout or charity, but by teaching someone, by shaping someone, not just giving the fish, but teaching someone how to fish. So we don't just come to church and worship God. We go into the world and do what God loves, and that's justice. So what if South Park Church really wrestles with balancing every, every act of charity, everything you give to a balanced life of justice where you are trying to seek to meet not just the basic needs, but address the root causes of the problems that cause the needs? Well, we're all called. We're all gifted to discipleship. We're gifted for ministry. We're required, as Micah 6, 8 says, to do justice. Are you listening? I want to close with a story about <clears throat> a man who was listening. His name is Fumba Karva, uh, from Africa, uh, Liberia. He was born into an Islamic family in, a, in no one but Muslims in the community in the Mendingo tribe. He spoke no English. He read the Koran. But then he went to a mission school because his parents valued education that was sponsored by the Episcopal Church. And he began to wonder, Muhammad or Jesus? Later, he went to high school in Monrovia, the big city. And there was a Christian missionary uh, inviting students at the high school to, to come and watch this movie one afternoon. It was of Saul of Tarsus, you know, who became Paul, who had that dramatic Damascus Road conversion. His eyes were blinded by the light. And there was an invitation that day. At age 16, Fumba said, yes, I, I want the life that causes that man to turn so completely. I want that life to live for Jesus. Well, he went back to his home. He was put down. Then there was war. His mother died. His brothers were killed. And then he ended up leaving his country, his remaining family, taking asylum in the U.S., he found a Methodist church in Detroit. And then he moved here to Charlotte and met his wife, who was also from Liberia. They, they met and they married. 
For a while, he was at Plaza United Methodist, then at Hickory Grove United Methodist, and then he found his way to University City, where I got to know him. His call to be a Christian moved into a call to ministry. And he went to Hood Theological Seminary in Salisbury and got the MDiv degree and then started the ordination process, which sometimes has a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns and hoops to jump through. And, and he, he didn't make it, and then he continued to persist. He knew he was called, and then finally the conference uh, blessed him. And last Sunday, on a, our way to a, a retreat up in the woods, we stopped in Winston-Salem, and uh, just had to have this picture um, with Pastor Fumba uh, and his wife, Chris, um, who were so warmly welcomed by the Saints Home United Methodist Church near our children's home campus in Winston-Salem. I love the way he listened. And now his life is about blessing others who can belong in community and believe in Jesus. Friends, you have such an awesome place. Use it fully to reach the expanding diversity of the city of Charlotte here in the South Park region as well. Who will you connect with? Who will you invite next week to fill up this place? You know, it's unfinished business for me. Uh, when I live back in Asheville, I'm going to find ways to try to continue this work. I wonder today if maybe... Something I've said may resonate with you and, and you're feeling, yes, we need to work on that here in this church. I need to work on that. The question is, what is the unfinished business of South Park Church? Let us pray. Oh God, you're never done with us. You're always making us, improving us, strengthening us, educating us, inspiring us to be about your work. Lord, may it involve all the diversity of the people in our community. May it be about everyone finding their gift to share in ministry. May it be about the work of justice. So unite us, O oh God, in this work. Bind us together in a spirit of unity and strengthen our church and its mission because we do believe that the tie that binds us together is our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us in this work. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.